You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 127 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Jeremy Paxton. And Jeremy, baseball season is here. Astros off to a 4-1 and one start after taking 3-4 in Arlington against the Rangers, then winning Monday night against the Baltimore Orioles and their home opener here in Houston as the, uh, the flag, the championship pennant, was unveiled with a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of mishap. A little bit of mishap here. But uh, also, Rockets clinched the number one seed throughout the NBA playoffs and to kind of celebrate that we have john mcclain on the podcast now you might know john from his 40 plus years of coverage of the nfl and the texans oilers with the houston chronicle but we wanted to bring john on to discuss two other sports and that's astros and rocket so i I think it's a fun conversation with john uh stay tuned for that but uh, jeremy how's it going how's your fandom going for houston uh you know both the rockets astros and how have you been man the last week Oh man, I've been good. I've been really focused on opening day, believe it or not. It's good. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've really been excited to see the Astros come out strong, uh, winning three Scrunk. out of those four <laughs> winning three out of those four games in Arlington. Yeah, nothing's be, better than beating the Oh my gosh. On the oh, road. they are still so bitter. I work with a couple of Rangers fans and they will not let go. I mean they're Shot insane. Oh, they they've well they've been they've been twice, have lost both times and they're to the World Series. The World Series, right. Sorry. And they're, they're still so incredibly bitter, and it, it just it just absolutely floors me with happiness to to see them wince and cringe and um, experience all the things that I have had to endure as an Astros fan. But looking more broadly at the Houston sports scene, I mean, it's really exciting right now to be a Houston sports fan. I, I think one of the things it's we, the we get into, era yeah, of yeah, sports. It re, well, one of the things we get into in the interview is the fact that you know all three teams are reasonably good right now. We got the Rockets clinching their number one seed. We got James Harden. On the verge of his of, an, of his first MVP, first MVP exactly, and hopefully the beard stays. You know, he he keeps being James Harden into the playoffs and on. Sorry, I, I don't I don't know what this is. <laughs> he I drops just, some like spray or something like that. But that that's the thing when you podcast in a studio and you are on a crowded desk. We've got like camera equipment. We've look, got headphones. Looks like, looks like you've been huffing paint over here. Yeah, Austin. pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. That's wow. what I do as a side hobby. Yeah. Well yeah. I, I was I was wondering why <laughs> your your nose looked a little silver today. Um yeah it's it's really exciting. I mean and even though even the Texans as disappointing as they've been this past season, I mean Deshaun Watson was that bright spot and so thinking Ahead, thinking that if Gosh, everyone's going to be a combination of him, Will Fuller, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, possibly oh. Watt. I know that he, you know, that that conversation of him kind of seesaws back and forth between yeah. different extremes. But thinking about the Texans heading into this season, this the possibility of Houston doing an impossible job in in relation to sports is just so exciting. Yeah, it's you kind know, of especially if the Rockets come out. Yeah, I, and, I feel like the Ro- not the Rockets, but. Houston has been like the redheaded stepchild for professional sports for a long, long time. I mean, granted, you have the Rockets championships in the mid-90s. I don't know. But it seems like the city has been beat down with disappointment, uh, you know, curses, whether or not they yeah. exist. But now, like, Houston fans are walking around everywhere, like, you know, puffing out their chest with sort of like a, I don't know, a swag or some sort. Yeah, well, that was really a generation ago when you think about it. I mean, I, I think I was nine years old, as I've said before, like when when, they, when Clutch City came around and won those back-to-back championships. Probably a different, different league as well for the NBA. So 
Yeah, it definitely wasn't as much three-point shooting. Oh, no. Athletics weren't as big of a thing. No, not at all. And so a, a totally different league and a totally different time period. So, you, you know, you need, you need your team to keep winning if you're going to have your city continue to be involved. And what I was noticing was so funny. So I was listening to most of the Astros today. Hold on. Hold on. You were listening to I was. the Astros game on the I was, radio? I was listening. I I'm was impressed. listening. Well, you, you know what happened? I got, uh, I got Did hooked. Did you find it by mistake? Was that it? <laughs> uh, I I got I got hooked to listening to the World Series on the radio. I'm just, I, I, well, was Alex Jones not on? Is that why you weren't? <laughs> you know, it's, I, I think he was sick tonight. I think he had an alt on, so I couldn't I couldn't catch my dear Alex Jones <laughs> ranting about Bilderberg and Florida in the tap water. But um, no, I was listening to the Astros, and I, I one thing that I couldn't hear was just how many T-shirt fans were at the game. Now I could coming over to your place. I was watching on TV, and it looked like a lot of people in those stands had never been to an Astros game before. And that's the thing with opening day. I feel like uh, you know, especially when the Astros were bad a few years back, they would still sell out opening day. I, I think I went to like two or three opening day games. But the problem with opening day, in my opinion, one, I love it. I love the excitement that it brings. I love how you know fans of every single team, just for that one day, think their team has a shot, that they can make that miraculous one run. And you know, we, we've seen strange things happen on opening day. We saw, what was it, 2011, 2012, Astros were heavy underdogs going against the Texas Rangers. They went on opening day great now the Astros have won six straight games on opening day but you go to those games this year you know just take this year and last year out of the picture those games are insanely crowded it is a madhouse when you go to downtown Houston all the streets are closed there's street fairs going on parking is like 50 to 60 dollars a pop it's just insane the atmosphere go to game two of the opening series and the ticket prices fall you actually can move around the ballpark. I prefer that a little bit more. And if you're looking directly at this opening series in Houston, you've got the banner unveil on Monday night, which is great. Great to celebrate the Astros' first home game back in Houston after that miraculous game five uh, last year against the Dodgers in the, in the playoffs. But game two, you got dollar hot dog night. You've got Justin Verlander on the mound. And the Astros get their championship ring. So if you had to choose one of those two games, give me day, give me day two, game two, nine times out of ten, or whatever game Kate Upton happens to be attending. Well, that would be tomorrow. That would be, oh. that would be on Tuesday night. Well, that that'll be really exciting because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that Do you have your Kate Upton jersey. Um, I, I have everything Kate Upton. Okay, yeah. All right, not, well, we not have really. that established. Not really. It's 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 funny. I, I would. It's so weird to have one of our players with like a super duper celebrity girlfriend that everyone seems to know, you know, has this huge name ID. So I think she's more popular than he is. Oh, uh, on a doubt. national scale. Without and a doubt. That, that's impressive because he is a Cy Young winner. He's an MVP, <laughs> World Series champion. How terrible is this? I bet you if you pulled Houston sports fans on their name ID of Kate Upton versus, versus Justin Verlander. Well, here's the deal it's very similar to an NFL couple, and that would be Tom Brady and Giselle. I mean, Tom Brady arguably has a wife that's more famous than he is. I don't, I see, I don't know about that. Not, Giselle, this, is, worldwide, absolutely. Tom Brady, She's though, worth more. Tom Brady, I, I feel like every 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 kid who's ever touched a football. In the U.S. For, yeah. I mean, okay. Well, all right. So internationally, maybe Giselle. But we're talking like... Let's talk about the, it's close. A local frame of it's reference, close. right? Okay. 
I feel like Kate, but in our let us know your thoughts. Hit us up weekly podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know. You know, Kate Upton's much bigger deal. Oh yeah, absolutely. Justin Cat Daddy, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but really quickly, I, I know you're not into you know metrics and all that stuff when it comes to baseball. But I'm not into the metric system. <laughs> but I do. I do want to give a quick stat, and this is from uh, David Finkhauser, who uh, is actually a Baylor fan, Houston Astros fan. He posted this on Twitter Monday night, and it says the Astros rotation the first time through all five starters pitched 30.1 innings. The ERA was 1.78. They had 36 strikeouts among those five starters. Dallas Keuchel, the lone starter, not to get a win. We had Lance McCullers look great. Garrett Cole look amazing. Verlander, stellar. Morton on Monday night looked great. Not only that, the offense is still clicking. And you don't even have Guriel back, who was just put on the 10-day DL, who will come back in about a week or two weeks uh, from his injury during spring training. But my goodness, I'm fired up. It, it's it's looking pretty good. I've I, I wasn't able to watch the first couple of games, but I was reading some of the stat lines, and I'm 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 pretty excited. I I think that um, AJ Hinch continues to amaze, um, and as our guest says, everything he seems to touch turns to gold. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. yeah. It, it's it's pretty incredible. So I'm, I'm really excited to see the rest of the season. Um, obviously, I won't be able to be at most of the games, but I will be. Watching from afar with far more interest and than I have previously. To the radio now. But you, you know what was actually interesting is last Wednesday night uh, on Root Sports. I'm sorry, I keep on calling it Root Sports. It's now AT&T Sports Southwest. There was a name change middle of last season. But they replayed Game 5 on Wednesday night, the day before opening day. And it was so much fun just to be on Twitter and see all of the Astros fans just go through and almost live tweet the game. As if, you know, they didn't know what was happening next. You know, people saying, oh, my gosh, Springer missed that ball in the outfield. You know, I don't know if he can redeem himself now or, you know, Jose Altuve. You know, I think he could tie this game up here. I, I don't know. It was just so much fun just to see the excitement of Astros fans, like, reliving that monumental game here in Houston. Game five of the World Series when the Astros took a 3-2 lead against Clayton Kershaw. Going back to L.A. I mean, it was I remember it like it was yesterday. I know. I, I was so incredibly hungover for that game, but I remember <laughs> every single moment. Yeah, I, I, I didn't you know I was... at that game. I was at that game. Yeah, it's the only World Series game I've ever been to or probably will ever go to unless yeah. we go again. Yeah. Which... We were both at that game. Yeah, we, we were. Yeah, you conservatory. were. You were across. I was on the third baseline, probably about seventy percent of the way. I was in yeah, you, you section had, six or something. You had you had much better seats than I did. Yeah, I had obstructed view. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a roller coaster for sure. So. <laughs> We'll talk more about the Astros here in just a few minutes with uh, John McClain, a lifelong Astros fan, even though he does cover the NFL. He's very knowledgeable when it comes to the organization. We'll also talk a little bit of Rockets. And the Rockets, Jeremy, clinched the number one seed throughout the playoffs, as we mentioned. Uh, they're, they're on fire heading into the postseason. But I, I was actually telling a friend earlier this week who uh, discovered the podcast and she asked me what episode she should listen to first. And I recommended episode 100 because we have a great interview uh, with, with Mark Bowden, who discusses North Korea, the political climate, uh, especially with you know North Korea last week. It, it made sense. You know, North Korea last week meeting with the, the Chinese officials and, of course, North Korea, South Korea, Korea and the United States having a summit allegedly in April or May. I told her to listen to that episode, but I decided to go back and re-listen to it. And, and there were a few things that you said that I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, at the 8 minute and 20 second mark, 
you questioned whether or not James Harden was worth the money after getting that insanely ridiculous contract extension. Well, any thoughts on that now? Six, seven months later, um, James Harden regular season has always been worth the money. That's not the question. The question is what's going to happen now as they head into the playoffs. So I, I, I still will maintain that stance. At, at, you'll, you'll maintain that stance until the Rockets come back the championship in June. Correct. Yes. In, okay. So even if he wins up. the MVP. See, okay. So so we had we had this discussion about uh, Altuve and whether yeah. he was worth the money. I I, I believe well, he's underpaid. It's not even. I mean, right now. Yeah, five million a year. I I believe he is worth the money. Yeah. Okay. He's worth. He's absolutely worth the money. I I think that Justin Verlander is worth the money because they they delivered right. They delivered results. I think Clayton Kershaw may be worth the money. Right. He doesn't deliver in the postseason. He well he doesn't. But he, it wasn't really. I can't blame it he, all on he's him. He's the James Harden of Major League Baseball. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I I, I don't know enough well, I mean, about, think about it. the rest. I mean, of his James career. Harden has had MVP caliber seasons the last three three out of the last four seasons. He's finished what second or third twice. He should win it this year. It should be nearly unanimous. But in the postseason, like you said, outside of one of his early series when he was with Oklahoma City, he hasn't done much to really boost the confidence of Rockets fans, yourself. Clayton Kershaw is very much in that same mold. I mean, he's won MVP. He's won Cy Youngs. Dominates the regular season. But when it comes to the postseason, he struggles. Uh, he he pitched, he, He's really hard on himself. I don't know if you remember some of his, yeah, some absolutely. Of his statements. Like, I hope I don't fail. I hope there's one day where I don't fail. I'm like, dude, come on. I mean, relax. That, but you've got to like that, that he has that competitive nature. Yeah, he does. But, but the pressure of the postseason is just so much different than a regular season game. Oh, without a doubt. so and much more weight on your shoulders. The only thing that Kershaw, you know, I go back to game five. And Kershaw did sort of yeah. Astros down four nothing against Kershaw. I thought it was over. Oh, I, I thought it was over. I was I was looking around like the fourth fifth inning. I'm like, uh, so <laughs> it's looking pretty good right now. I might want to leave, but thinking how much that we had spent on this ticket, you've got to stay. Yeah, you got to stay. There's like no way There's no you can early. leave. But James Harden going bringing it back to James Harden uh, and my previous statement. I stand by that statement. You know what? If uh, I will eat crow, I'll eat. I'll eat shoe. If they come back with another with a national title. Okay, so you championship, you, you heard whatever. that at the 14-minute mark of the podcast, episode 127. Jeremy Paxton says he will literally eat crow and eat a shoe. It's got to be seasoned right, though. Okay, but you, you heard it. Maybe we can sue these. Not literally. Okay, this is not, not literal. I'm not setting oh, myself up. up no, I'm not backing up. No, I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna like eat a crock or something or or a leather shoe. That would be just, disgusting. That's really gross. All right, I'm not gonna do All right. that. So there, there was one more quote that you had in episode 100. I, I, feel, I feel so special. All these, and it was at the 13:45 mark. You were talking about baseball and the Astros who were streaking towards the postseason in July, and you said, "quote Baseball is like the junk mail on your counter." Yeah, 90. 99% of baseball is junk mail on your counter until you get to the postseason. Did you see the Cubs who were like, you mean talked about as such a great team last year? They've been shut out, what, like twice so far? It's really bad. I, I, I don't want to watch that. If I was a Cubs fan, man, I'd, I'd But you're not watching the Cubs. You're watching the Astros, man. Well, okay, I'm watching the Astros, right? But if, if we're talking to a big audience, right, because we have listeners from all over the place, I would yeah. say, yeah, most baseball is junk mail on your counter. You shouldn't pay attention to it until we start heading into the fall. I, I just, <laughs> I'll just i just be honest with you. Now, I'm going to pay attention because I feel like I have an awesome team right now. But, yeah. All right. You've heard it. Jeremy's backtracking a little bit. I'm not backtracking. No, no, I see <laughs> that comment. <laughs> if... if um, if baseball 
is the semi-legit junk mail that's on your counter, then soccer is the Nigerian prince trying to send you money. Okay, mark that down. That I, that, that was I like it. I, I, I like I'm, it. I'm dead serious. There's nothing. There's nothing about soccer that is re- redeemable. It's appealing, especially with the World Cup now. I mean, the U.S. isn't even in it. Yeah. Well, and, and go Germany. The only well, the only thing that's uh, kind of interesting is is the precarious position russia is in right now with yeah. the world cup yeah I, I think i think that's all interesting to pay attention to but otherwise i'm like uh, we'll talk maybe the world cup in june when the world cup actually gets here maybe may do a little preview i don't know we'll, we'll figure it out but uh, one other thing i want to touch on before we get to the john McClain interview here in just a few minutes is uh the nfl is kind of uh doing things a little bit differently this year i, I don't know if you saw uh but the nfl passed a major rule change last week banning all plays on which a player lowers his head to initiate contact with the helmet essentially adding a targeting role that we see in college to the nfl also the nfl apparently clarifies what a catch is so des bryant did catch the pass against the green bay packers in the playoffs a few years ago but I, I want to talk about this lowering the helmet thing real quick. We've we've seen that the game has now, in the past few years, sort of favored the offensive players, and, and now it seems that they're taking a little bit of physicality out of the game to alleviate some of the concerns over CTE and concussions. Uh, there's talk that they might even get rid of kickoffs. Is this going to change the way you approach Sunday afternoons in the fall? Um. Yes, it will. It, so... There's a lot of different ways you could come at this. I, I think the, the question I have floating around in my mind is, is, is this a desperate gasp for air in a sport that is ultimately going to drown um, under, its, under the weight of the concussion scandal? Um, I think as the years go on and more players retire and as our diagnostic methods get better in the neuroscience department, we're going to be able to find that most of these guys, even the ones that have, had, that have played under these uh, more strict rules, are, are still going to have you know, brain related issues linked to their football play. I mean, at what point do you, I mean, we had, we had Eric Wins on the show last week and he talked about the NFL PA, you know, trying to make strides, you know, whether it's providing better helmets, better technology, better camera angles. At what point does a game just go away and move to like seven on seven football? I don't know. Or, or do you get rid of the helmets we've, altogether? We, we've talked about this and that, and that's the weird thing. You know, it's, there's no way of knowing right now. There's no way of knowing. I think if the NFL knows what's good for it, it's going to do something about player protests and other things that are, cre- that are contributing to this, these, these drags on the sport that are taking viewers away from TV sets on Sunday afternoons and Sunday nights. And they're going to do everything they can to keep people glued to the TV and attempt to minimize, you know, these injuries as much as possible. I'm actually okay with this rule change, but only from the stance that I think it's what's in the best interest of the players at the moment. I mean, it's there are a lot of people that want to see. I mean, this is our coliseum. You know, these are our gladiators, and they want to see these guys get beat up. And you are going to ultimately take away some of that from the game. But here, here's the question. I mean, do we watch college football any less because we have targeting rules? I mean... It is annoying to see the game stopped. It does. It is. But at the same time, like, I'm, I'm still watching. I mean, I've still got... I've still got a, even though my team is horrible, I still watch college football in the fall. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to change the game. The game is going to change. And I think that you're going to have people sort of on the conservative side of this issue always talk about the glory days and how guys could do this and how guys could do that and how we just don't have men playing the game anymore. And I just think that's, you can't, you can't make that argument without looking at the human impact and the human cost of the sport. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad. Uh, I mean, all these players, they know what they're getting into. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The NFL is trying to limit 
I, I think litigation in, in the future. I think that's what they're trying to do. But if you want to dig back into our, our, our archives, go back to episode 35. We had Steve Allman on the show, and he wrote a book called Against Football. Uh, he's a New York Times bestseller. We asked him some of these you know, questions, pondered you know, the cultural significance of the NFL in America and whether or not it has, you know, I don't know, it, it, it kind of leans towards America's addiction to football, addiction to, you know, maybe fostering tolerance for violence. I, I don't know. It's interesting conversation with them. Yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit long, but worth, I think, re-listening to. Yeah. I think it's kind of a more cerebral point about, yeah. about Americans wanting or having a, having a tolerance for violence. That's arguably a human thing you know, not just an American thing and that people love to see competitors throw their bodies at each other, no matter what it is. I mean, you know, boxing, despite all of its risks is still a thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we still, we still have really physical high, high risk sports, but, um, I think the thing about football is boxing doesn't reach half as many people as it used to football though. No, is and plus, still... plus it's rigged. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, you watch a fight and you score it on your own card what was it? I think probably about a year ago, there was a Joe Horn, Manny, Manny Pacquiao fight in Australia that I was watching. And it looked clearly like Manny Pacquiao had won the fight. I mean, every single person scored it in favor of Pacquiao. The decision comes back two to one in favor of Horn. <laughs> it's just completely rigged because it triggers, you know, like a rematch. So I, I don't know. I, I, but I definitely see your point. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I, when I don't want to see rigged stuff, I go watch WWE. And that's just. <laughs> But there's concussions in the WWE. Yeah. There's head yeah, trauma. That's, that's true. It's scripted, you know, it, but it's scripted violence. It is scripted violence. I know. I think that's the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen. Like, yeah. when I really, like, I didn't know what I was watching as a kid, but now that I know everything I do about the WWE is the most bizarre sport with the most bizarre following I've ever encountered. And actually, one of our co-hosts, Hunter, is a dear WWE fan. He comes in wearing shirts. It Sometimes if he's wearing shirts, you know, somebody's just not wearing anything at all. But yeah. Um, Notice how you, you slowly work that in there. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. You can follow Hunter at Hunter Atkins 35 on Twitter if you want more WWE or Corgi takes. He'll definitely provide those. Absolutely. Well, but bringing the discussion back around, we have a fantastic interview with John McClain coming up. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into that. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's great. We'll get into it in just a few seconds. But if you want to follow our work, just go ahead and subscribe to us on social media at Weekly Brewcast on all the platforms. Also, weeklybrewcast.com. We're there. Uh, but stay tuned for this John McClain interview. Again, he spent more than 40 years covering the NFL for the Houston Chronicle. But we talk a little baseball with him. We talk a little bit of Rockets with him. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is a a familiar voice, and that's John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. And and John, typically we call you to talk Texans football and the NFL. And and last time on the show, that's what we discussed. But uh, right now, it seems like all the focus in Houston is on the Astros coming back, opening up the season at Minute Maid Park on Monday, and then, of course, what the Rockets are doing in the NBA, clinching the number one seed. So, you know, in a, in a sports town that is focused on football, it seems like that focus has shifted to both baseball and basketball. And I guess, John, how are things going with you, and, and can you think of a, a greater time to be a Houston sports fan? There's never been a greater time to be a sports fan in Houston between the Astros. Having everything it takes to repeat as World Series champions, and uh, the Rockets having the best record in the NBA. I think the only thing that can slow them down would be injuries. And then uh, the Texans with Deshaun Watson 
coming back, everybody being healthy, moves they've made in the off season. I think people will be fired up about the Texans. So we're at the zenith as far as all three of our teams being good at the same time. I mean, you've covered sports in Houston for you know more than forty years. Is there a similar time that you can think of? You know, a similar time no, or era? Never, never when all three were good at the same time. Let me say this: in nineteen eighty, the Rockets went to the NBA Finals. The Texans, I mean the Oilers, uh, lost in the first round of the playoffs after going to the AFC Championship game the previous two years and losing at Pittsburgh. And then the Astros, I believe in 1980, made the playoffs. Right. But none of them were favored to win. In this case, the Astros won or favored to win. The Rockets have blown away the Warriors and uh, the Raptors to get home court advantage throughout the playoffs. And then the Texans, one thing I learned last year watching Deshaun Watson before he was hurt is with him on the field are capable of beating anybody anywhere. And so uh, I cannot, and the Texans, I believe with Watson back, they're a legitimate playoff contender. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender where the Astros and the Rockets are. So this is an unprecedented period in the city's history. Well, I definitely want to talk a little Texans uh, a little bit later in the podcast, but let's start with the Astros. They take three of four from the Rangers up in Arlington to open the season. Garrett Cole looked phenomenal in his Astros debut on Sunday, striking out 11 and in seven innings, only allowing two hits. And now the Astros come back with Charlie Morton getting the ball on Monday, Justin Verlander uh, during the ring ceremony getting the ball on Tuesday. You're going to be at the games at Minute Maid Park. I mean, what is that atmosphere going to be like for Houston fans welcoming this team back? Well, I'm going. I'm going so early. I'm going right when uh, Minute Maid Park opens. I want to be in. People are going to be pumped. The atmosphere. Had they gone to Arlington and lost four games, then it were one, one and three. But the fact they went up there and beat them three out of four and beat them bad. That's uh, impressive. People are so fired up. It's by far the deepest rotation the Astros ever had. When you got Brad Peacock and Colin McHugh in long relief, uh, that really you have seven starters. And another thing, just hardly anybody will talk about this, but in the, the game Sunday in which they won with Garrett Cole, deservedly, getting all the publicity, gave up two hits in seven innings. To go with those 11 strikeouts, Ken Giles actually worked an inning without giving up a hit. <laughs> and after he pitched opening day where he gave up two hits and I think one run, left over from last off season, last postseason in which he was terrible, I think that's very important because they're going to need Giles to be the closer he was in regular season. You know, they don't have – another legitimate closer. They've strengthened their bullpen with Smith and Rondon. And and I think the one thing this team's missing is a lefty reliever besides Tony Sipp, uh, who I've never been a big fan of. If he wasn't a lefty, he wouldn't be in the big leagues. And I'll bet you when Jeff Luno, the next deal he makes will be for a left-handed uh, reliever. And, uh, and then the next big deal he makes will be in June when he calls up Kyle Tucker because Kyle Tucker's better than anything else they got to play in the out, in left field. Putting him out there with, uh, Marisnik and Springer and the rotation. But that kid, I went to spring training and watched him. He is going to be phenomenal. 
What was your impression of him in, in spring training? I mean, I saw him in that exhibition game here in Houston where he hit that grand slam, but he earned the nickname Ted in West Palm Beach. I mean, what was your impression of him? Well, I know people would not give him that nickname. He probably didn't even know who it was. You don't need to compare anybody to Ted Williams, whose nickname was the Splendid Splinter. Uh, Tucker, and he, when I saw him, he beat the Cardinals with a two-run triple, and he led all of Major League Baseball in exhibition season RBIs to go with his four home runs, and he didn't even play regularly. And I understand that you don't you keep him down. Uh, it has to do with our, getting an extra year of arbitration. That's a smart thing to do. They don't have to have him. And if at some point he's coming up, when he comes up, he's going to be there to stay. He's going to be another young star that they have. And you can't. what I can't wait to see, I figure this team is going to be together for at least two years, and Jim Crane can't give every player $150 million. Then they're going to have to decide to give George Springer at 30 or 31 that kind of contract when you got Tucker. You know, do you pay Keiko when you got such a deep starting pitching? And so they're going to have some decisions to make. I think Keiko and Gonzalez are up after this year. Nobody else is up this year. So I think this team is going to be built for the next few years until these guys you have to start paying Correa and Bregman and, and then the pitching staff. As good as it is, you know, you're talking about Verlander's 35 and uh, Keiko's, what, 31. And so they're getting up there a little bit, but I can't wait to see how Jeff Luno handles the guys. When you're stars, they want to be paid, and these guys either are stars or on the verge of being stars. It's kind of amazing to me because when you look at the trade deadline last year, you know, the Astros didn't make a significant move to bolster the starting rotation. And, you know, Keuchel expressed his disappointment. I believe uh, Reddick made some comments that, you know, weren't necessarily positive to the ownership group. But then a month later, they go out and get Justin Verlander. And then during the offseason, they spend $151 million on Altuve. I mean, what kind of commitment does that show from the ownership group, the general managers, that, hey, we're not just a one-time fling here in Houston. We're built to last. The kind of thing we wanted to see from Jim Crane, he had not had to spend big bucks. Now he's had to spend big bucks. He's done it with Altuve. And Altuve's deal expires. He'll be 34 years old. And the way he stays healthy and in such great shape, he may get another contract, a big one after that. And then the, the way they went after Verlander, and it's interesting, I can't even now remember who they gave up for him. I can't remember who they gave up for Garrett Cole, other than Joe Musgrove. Uh, those deals, they did not have to part with any of their key players. And uh, and that's the big deal. Their minors are still loaded with prospects. I always, I've been doing a talk show in Corpus Christi for five or six years, and they've always told me who's who's down there playing for the hooks to keep an eye on and who they think's going to make the big leagues. And, and that's a great place to go to watch minor league baseball in Texas because you see the next stars. Yeah, it's always fun to see minor league baseball. I think one of the, the earlier games that I saw as a kid was uh, the opening for the Round Rock Express, uh, you know, gosh, probably 15-plus years ago. But, you know, we talk about the young talent on the team, and, you know, McCullers had a hell of an outing on Saturday working that off-speed pitch, and Altuve again, uh, you know, lighting it up this series, I think going 9 for 16. Correa hit over, you know, had a slugging percentage uh, over 800 batted, you know, over 400. And then uh, Max Stassi, I thought he looked good Sunday in the game. I mean, uh, this team still has young talent that's still underpaid a little bit. Well, they're they're underpaid. Yeah, I, they could be, but they won't be for long. That's right. the thing. And, 
Another thing, by the way, when when Round Rocks deals up with the Rangers, I think the Astros will be back there, considering as the Astros that founded that uh, that city as the as the uh, franchise for them. Then they let it go, the Rangers. But I know they want to go back, and I think that would be great to have them have them in Round Rock and Corpus. And um, the thing about the Astros when I'm looking this year, McCullers struck out 10. McCullers throws so many pitches, he can never get to the seventh. He can't even get to the sixth inning very much. I've always thought he'd make a great closer because he's got a great fastball and a great slider, but he also just throws a lot of pitches. He gets a lot of foul balls. He gets a lot of balls, and so if he could go six, people are happy. And these days, if he can go seven, people are ready to pop the champagne corks. And <laughs> that whole Rangers series, only had one guy did it, and that's Garrett Cole. He had he was only one, I think, at a hundred pitches. I don't think Verlander did. I can't remember, but uh, so you better have a bullpen. You know that's why they got Smith. That's why they got Rondon. That's why I think they need a legitimate left-handed reliever because. Those guys out of the pen are going to be pitching every single game game, the way Major League Baseball is today as opposed to like when I was young. And if you didn't go nine innings, go the distance like you were less of a man. Does that make the game, you know, more enjoyable for you to watch? I mean, we see baseball, you know, kind of tweaking with the rules a little bit. And now you have guys in the bullpen that are more specialty arms, you know, coming in to get a specific left-handed batter out, you know, starters limiting their pitches to, you know, 90 pitches or 95 pitches an outing. I mean, does that still make the game enjoyable for you to see, you know, the strategy element? It's enjoyable, but give me a Nolan Ryan any day of the week. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, who? I mean, I'm going to throw some names out there to you, Austin. Let me see. And I don't want to insult you. How old are you? I'm 30. Okay, but you're 30. Diehard baseball fan. <laughs> and let me tell you, when I was young, there's no pitcher today who will be revered intimidated, respected, like Nolan Ryan, Sandy Koufax, uh, uh, all the great fastball pitchers of the 60s, 70s, well, even before that. But all those guys went the distance. The first really good relief pitcher was Elroy Face from the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1960 that I could remember. And back then you only had one reliever. Baseball's trying to figure out how to speed up the game well, Quit bringing in so many pitchers or put them on a golf cart like they used to. Instead of letting a guy walk in, put them on a golf cart, they save over the course of making five changes, you might save five minutes. And then if they shave five minutes off the game, people go, wow, this is great. We've cut games back five minutes. But think about time on the mound and all that. The game is slow because of managers constantly changing pitchers. And so I loved watching Bob Gibson and Juan Marichal and pitchers like that, Denny McLean. I watched him go 31-2, and two. even Ron Guidry of the Yankees. And and we went 25 and I think, too. And so there were a lot of great pitchers then who went the distance or they just brought in one guy. And I saw Nolan Ryan I say one time, players today lift weights. They don't work on their legs and their butt like he did. They rode a bike. They ran. They didn't lift. They didn't bench press. They didn't curl. They didn't do that. They just worked on their lower half because when you pitch, so much is involving the lower part of your body, and that's never been demonstrated better than the way Nolan Ryan always pitched. And after games, he had ice on his shoulder, and he was on the bicycle riding that bike like he was on his way back to Alvin. I want to talk touch on that in just a second, but you mentioned Denny McLean. I, uh, I, I remember... Uh, 
probably when I was eight or nine years old, when the Astros were on Sports Radio 610, I remember calling into the postgame show with Rich Lord and asking him trivia questions. That was my thing as a little kid. I would call in and try to stump him with a trivia question. And I remember that was one of my trivia questions to him. It was, uh, who was the last 30-game winner? And he nailed it right away. And I was disappointed. I thought I had one that stumped him, but <laughs> I was a little bit off. <laughs> it's funny because imagine this today, Austin, in a World Series. One pitcher pitches three complete games and and wins three games in a seven game World Series. Today you're lucky if two one, a guy gets two wins and he never goes a distance. Mickey Lolich, a left-hander for the Tigers, who pitched with Denny McLean, when they beat the Cardinals in the World Series, he went he went three games and there was no rain. They just had rag arms back then because when they were conditioned, when they were kids, high school, most of them didn't go to college. They got to the minors. They went the distance. So your body was just conditioned to it, and maybe your mind as well. And then when Billy Martin was managing the Oakland A's, he ruined three starters' arms. And that's when I remember starters start going less and less. They were scared to death of ruining their arms, even though you look back historically at all these guys, like Nolan Ryan, for instance, Nolan threw more than 200 pitches in a game several times. He'd throw almost 400 innings. Now if you throw 200 innings, it's a big deal. And uh, I thought that was a great time to watch, but I like to watch him today. You know, I don't care if it's who's pitching. You watch Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers pitch the way they did against the Rangers. That is, it's it's fun to watch. Something that I thought was kind of fun and interesting, especially in that first game of the Rangers series, is the the shifts. You know, the Astros, AJ Hinch, they've been notorious for shifts to essentially take advantage of the data, the metrics that they have behind each player, but they deployed a four-man outfield against Joey Gallo, uh, and it worked quite well for the most part this series. Have you ever seen anything like that in baseball? Now, the most you see is is you, you'll you see a shift, but there will always be one infielder on the left side, and then the shortstop behind second base, and then the second baseman will be out short right field. But in this case, you had four outfielders plus Altuve, in short right field. So technically, you had four outfielders, but you had five players in the outfield. Verlander gives up a lot of fly balls, and it worked perfectly. And uh, Gallo hit that home run off Cole opposite field. And uh, But he, he, you know, and that's smart by Hinch, because if he's got a guy like Keuchel, who has a lot of grounders, then he's not going to do it. But if you got a guy that hits a lot of flies, then why not? He did it again Sunday. And right now, everything that A.J. Hinch touches turns to gold. Absolutely. And, you know, you had mentioned a few minutes ago that you were down in West Palm Beach for spring training. And, you know, you cover the NFL. You're there at training camp. You're there for OTAs, off-season camp. How do the two sports compare, uh, you know, in their off-season program in terms of building up to the season, preseason, spring training, compared to preseason camp in the NFL? Well, the difference is baseball, they play games to get ready. and football, they practice. Everybody hates preseason games. I think eventually we're going to see two preseason games and many, many more joint practices because you can control joint practices. Bill O'Brien loves joint practices because you can work on exactly what you and the opposing coach want to work on. And uh, I think maybe the next CBA, you'll see that cut back in 2020 or 2021, whatever they do an extension. And in baseball, I've always thought, and I've never been able to do this, I would like to go the first week before they play the games when they're just practicing and all the minor leaguers are there and you can see them as well. 
one of the things I like about the complex in West Palm Beach, when you get there, you know, there's the big stadium in the middle, and there's four fields on the left that belong to the Astros, four fields on the right circling the stadium that belong to the Nationals, and each team has its offices, Nationals up behind first base and Astros behind third. And it's a tremendous complex, and one of the things I liked about it was walking around and watching the players on the other fields. The minor leaguers plus some of the major leaguers would take BP there, and there's a lot of room. My only complaint about that ballpark is they don't have enough restrooms for men, and the lines are like women <laughs> out the doors. I, I definitely want to make it out to you, uh, West Palm Beach. I've had several friends that have made it out there and said that it's uh, an amazing experience. Oh, you'll experience. have a blast. I, yeah, definitely. Great, something not only is it a, is it a good area for baseball because it's e- really easy to get in and out of, but you're also close to the beach and you've got all the great restaurants on the beach, clubs on the beach. Young guy like you have a lot of fun hanging out, <laughs> hanging out in that area of Florida. Well, I mean, you tell me there's beach and nice restaurants. I think that might convince my girlfriend to want to go out there as well. Well, so. that's that's <laughs> the best place. In fact, when I got there, a friend of mine who's from Houston lives down there right in, in Juno, and he picked me up, took me straight because he knew I was going to be hungry, and we went straight to a place he liked on the beach and had lunch, and it was just fabulous uh, hanging out there and, and, and checking out the scenery. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out next year. But, you know, I, I, I we talked a lot about the Astros, but I, I want to talk about another team in Houston that's very metrics-driven, and, and that's the Rockets. It seems like that part of downtown Houston is sort of sabermetric heavy. I mean, I, I might even call it the Silicon Valley of sports here in Houston with as, as much data as you know uh, the Rockets utilize and the Astros utilize. Daryl Morey has got this team rolling on all cylinders. I mean, they, they've lost the Spurs on Sunday, but the game is essentially relevant. Uh, what are some expectations that you have for the Rockets? And did you see them having this much success so quickly with Chris Paul and James Harden sharing the rock? Nobody could have envisioned them dethroning the Warriors for the best record in the NBA. Nobody. And at the time, you know, they've got their deepest roster. Astros have their deepest roster. They got their deepest rotation. They got their deepest bullpen. And the Rockets are deep. They they are prepared to go in the playoffs. Now I like see how I can word this. I like the fact that they've had some injuries that have kept players out, including Harden and Paul, because it's it's kept them more rested for the playoffs. Right. Now, you don't want them to be hurt in the playoffs. That's the key. Will they be 100%? And some other players have been hurt. So the time they've been hurt, they've been able to win without them, and so that's time that's not wear and tear on their body. So I think there's a good chance they go into the playoffs in the best shape they've been in all season. And so, and even Paul, I think, was hurt at the first of the season. And so... Uh, they they were so great in regular season. At start, we were like, well, if they could just get to the Western Conference Finals and, and have a good series against the Warriors, man, that would be a great season. Now, though, they put themselves in a position where we're like, okay, they're going to be favored to win. If they don't win the championship, it's going to be a disappointment. Now, that's initially, once it's over, I think people look back on a great season. They cannot afford to go down before at least the Western Conference Finals because I think if they were to lose to the Warriors, a lot of people seem, you know, Warriors have had injuries and they seem to be just kind of floating, waiting to turn it on and, and when the, in the playoffs. And so I think everybody's right now expecting that it'll be the Rockets or the Warriors and whoever wins that series will win it. But the Raptors, I watched when I was at the Astros at a sports bar, 
them play in Toronto, fall way behind, almost win it, and then lose in the end. And you know the Raptors are no slouch, neither are the Celtics. I don't, I don't count the Cavs at all. I don't care how great LeBron's playing. And um, so that we're, our expectations are the Rockets have a chance to win their third championship because they have the best team they've ever had. How important is home court for the Rockets? Uh, it's always you think it's important. What they cannot afford is have Harden stink it up in a game like he did last year. You know, that is still inexplicable to me, what happened to him in that game. And I think having Chris Paul there um, means that's not going to happen. Paul's a great player. He's a good friend with him. He's a leader. He's a motivator. I think you're going to get the best they have at every game. And uh, I can't wait for the playoffs. NBA regular season's fine, but give me the playoffs. Man, once it starts, it is a totally different season, totally different intensity level because the stakes are so high and expectations are so high as they should be. Daryl Morey done a great job of putting together a team that fits Mike D'Antoni's style. And think about what it would mean to Mike D'Antoni to win an NBA championship after all the grief he's taken in certain cities where he was fired, he's, he's just been ideal for the team that he is coaching. Yeah, they seem to really respond to, you know, his direction on the on the court. And it's kind of nice to see him focus on the offense. And then they've got, you know, another assistant head coach that focuses on specifically the defense. So they're essentially staying in their own lanes. Seems to be working well for the Rockets. But I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who wins a championship who wins the next championship in Houston? Is it is it the Rockets or is it the Astros? I think the Rockets because the Rockets have a chance to do it. I mean, they're favored. They had the best record by far. And uh, so I think the Rockets have a legitimate chance to win the NBA title unless something were to happen to the big three. If something happened to Harden, Paul, or Capella, they have that unbelievable record. When the three of them play together, I think they've lost, what, two games right. together? And I've never heard of that. So as long as those three are together, they're capable of beating anybody, including the Warriors. It should be a lot of fun as April rolls around and uh, the playoffs start here in just a few weeks. But uh, really quickly, John, uh, Texans, you you mentioned health with the Rockets, how it's important. Health for the Texans, immensely important. I mean, last year, the team was just riddled with injuries. J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, uh, decimated with offensive line injuries. Uh, this year, it looks like Watson is proje- is you know continuing to progress through his offseason program. Uh, but there's still question marks with the offensive line. Uh, you know, Texans lose... Cushing on the defensive side of the ball, but they replaced him with another uh, vocal leader in Tyron Matthew. I mean, what's the outlook for the Texans heading into 2018? The key to every team in the division is the health of the quarterback. The Jaguars won the division. Blake Bortles was the only quarterback that stayed healthy. Now you got Marcus Mariota missed three games all at one. Parts of two others. Andrew Luck missed the season. Watson missed. He started six games. So if any of those quarter, if all those quarterbacks were to stay healthy, the odds are against it. What a good, competitive, exciting division it will be. The Texans had 13 starters on IR, 20 overall. I've never seen a team have that many injuries to keep players. So they're all supposed to be healthy. They've added three offensive linemen. They'll use a third-round pick on another one, maybe another pick on the lineman, and they want to get faster on both sides of the ball. Aaron Colvin played better last year than Tyron Matthew, and both of those guys will start. Matthew gives them leadership on the back end. They need Will Fuller to stay healthy. His first 13 catches from Watson, seven work for touchdowns. If they could keep him on the field, Keep Braxton Miller on the field, Bruce Ellington on the field. All three of those guys were hurt. 
then that means they're capable, I think, of beating anybody anywhere as long as Watson's healthy. How would you kind of rate the focus for Brian Gain as his first season as general manager? Well, I mean, what is he looking for to continue to fill those open roster spots as we get closer to September? For two and a half months, and he said he's not going to spend all their cap money on one or two players. They have too many needs. They've signed eight free agents so far, with the most prominent being Tyron Matthew and Aaron Colvin. People don't know Colvin. But he is a great slot corner. He's never given up a touchdown pass in four years, according to Pro Football Focus. And they will add at least one more, maybe two offensive linemen, and let Mike Devlin, the offensive coordinator, I mean the offensive line coach, figure it out. But when Watson was healthy in those six games, nobody complained about the offensive line. They only gave up 2.4 sacks a game, and they were third in rushing with 100 in 43 yards and they averaged 34 points a game. And, like, that offensive line must be pretty good. Well, the fact is, if you go back and watch all of Watson's touchdown passes on YouTube, you can see how he stepped left, stepped right, spun away from this guy, stepped up in the pocket, Things, little things that he did to keep from getting sacked to make them look good. And then when he went out, they were exposed as being awful. So with him back, I'm guessing people are going to go, wow, Brian Gaines done such a good job on this <laughs> offensive line, when the truth is it's going to be Watson. So if Watson stays healthy this year, what is a realistic expectation for Texans fans? They have on paper the easiest schedule in the league. It never works out that way. They have to go to Washington, Philadelphia, New England. But I think last year, if Watson had been healthy, they won four games. I could see him win eight. This year, I could see him win 10 games if Watson's healthy because watching what he did at New England and Seattle when the defense blew both on the last series shows me he was not intimidated by any place. And uh, I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am to watch him. I mean, he was on a pace to do something no rookie in history had ever done, 43 touchdown passes. So I can't wait to see him get back on the field. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun just to have his energy, the electricity, just seeing him uh, on Sundays here at Energy Stadium. But again, we have John McClain from the Houston Chronicle joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, John, you're a very busy guy. It seems like the NFL season just runs year-round. We've got the NFL draft coming up, uh, you know, opening week here in Houston for uh, the Astros. What do you have coming up on the Chronicle in terms of your coverage? Well, let's see. On Sunday, I wrote a column about Bill and Bill O'Brien and Brian Gaines' first two and a half months together. I'm going to do one next week of Brian Gaines talking about things that they need at certain positions and how two of them tied in an offensive tackle, the way colleges play. It's harder to get what you need exactly and what you do if you can't find them. Now, you may have to have a blocking tight end and a receiver since colleges don't put out both very much anymore and i'll have a thing on the projected starting lineup and uh we'll have another mock draft aaron wilson i just posted our sixth mock draft was friday we'll have another one this coming friday well john always appreciate you taking the time out and joining us on the podcast and you've got quite the popular social media handle on twitter how can our listeners find you it's mclean m-c-c-l-a-i-n underscore on underscore NFL, McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Austin, thank you very much as always. I appreciate it. We might have to change it to McLean underscore on underscore MLB after this episode. <laughs> I love talking about the Astros and baseball just like I do with basketball. Well, appreciate it, John. Have fun at the ballpark this week. Thanks a lot, Austin.
Closing time. Great interview with John McClain. Great conversation with him for episode 127 of the podcast. And, you know, we had him on for about 30 minutes and uh, only spent a handful of minutes talking NFL. It was the back end of the conversation, but I really enjoyed talking baseball and talking basketball with him and just hearing his passion, not only for, you know, what he does in his day job, but just supporting the city. I, I don't know. It's refreshing to see that. And, and John has been such a great. I don't know, supporter of our podcast. He was he was the first big name guest that we got on the show. And uh, I don't know, great guy, fellow Baylor Bear. Always great to have him on yeah, the show. Very approachable, jovial guy. Very easy to talk to. Um, boils down relative, you know, you, you, there, there's a there's like an esoteric level of sports analysis that that loses a lot of people. And uh, he he doesn't do that. He he keeps it he keeps it very. I mean, his he says a lot. Uh, sports-wise, but, you know, most people can understand what he's saying, and I really appreciate that about him. He's such an asset to the city. Um, really breaking down the the Astros in a way I've never heard him do before, you know? I mean, talking about how pitching has changed and how the history of the sport is, uh, you know, how we've kind of gotten to this place now where, where I, I thought the most interesting thing was talking about pitchers and how they don't Everyone's so scared about throwing out their arm that they just don't pitch games like they used to. You Not know, only talking that, about the workout regimen is different. Yeah, talking and talking about how Nolan Ryan, you know, the reason he's so, you know, f- reason he's such a big deal even now is, you know, throwing 200 pitches a game. Well, I, I can't remember a time when a, no, when a pitcher and, did that. You know, he mentioned a comment about Nolan Ryan's legs being extremely large and how he generated a lot of power as a result of that. I think back in the early to mid '90s with Billy Wagner with the Astros, he was a five five foot ten lefty that threw 100, 101 miles an hour. In my opinion, he should be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be up there at some point. I think. I think eventually he'll get voted in. One of the best closers of our generation. But he was a guy whose legs were absolutely stacked. I mean, you see like those speed skaters, the short track speed skaters like Apollo Anton Ono that have just like massive legs. That's what Billy Wagner looked like. He generated so much power, so much leverage off of his legs, his lower body. And, and now you don't see that as much in, in Major League Baseball. It's, it's more, I don't know, it's more finesse. Guys working with bands, you know, trying to, you know, make sure that they get in in the gym. But it's, I don't know, it's a different game now. I, I still enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, not being a huge connoisseur of men's legs or studying how large they are, um, are you arguing that pitchers today are aren't of the same caliber as they used to be? Do you, do you, do no, you, do I, you think I think it's that, I think it's a different breed. Okay, all right. Well, all right. So, so let's, I mean, let's, it, it, it's like that in all sports, right? I mean, sure. You know, running backs in the '80s, for example, Earl Campbell was a guy that would. Oh, run you over. He was a machine. Yeah, that you don't see that in the NFL you, anymore. Okay, as, as times change, players change. Okay, well let, let's let, let's play this and i feel like baseball is really more of a sport you can do this let's play this pretend game where we can time machine uh nolan ryan and his prime in and put him up against justin verlander you know clayton kershaw even though i know or regular season clayton kershaw right who i mean if, if you're if you're if these guys are all up against each other who do you think comes out on top i know that probably or even some of the other pitching greats i'm not i don't want to single no, it out for nolan I mean, ryan that is a very very difficult question i think i think nolan ryan he, he was a power pitcher i mean 5000 plus strikeouts uh you know he he's a guy that threw seven no hitters and threw i think two past the age of 40 i think he compares a little bit to nolan or uh, to roger clemens 
Okay. In terms of like like longevity, I, I don't I really think power. He has, I don't think he has a contemporary right now that you can point <laughs> no, to. No, I not yet. I at don't, least no, I don't think so. And I don't I don't know that there will ever be. I think I think Roger Clemens was the last guy that you could potentially say was a contemporary of Nolan Ryan. I think they're built the same. Uh, you know, they both pitched very very well into their forties. Kershaw's a little bit different. I mean, he's he's got a above average fastball, obviously for being a lefty, but he's got disgusting breaking pitches. And Verlander's, I would say that if if we're looking at Verlander and Kershaw and which could could potentially be comparable to Nolan Ryan, I would say I would say Verlander because he's a power guy, right? I mean, he he can easily get it up to ninety eight, ninety nine, hundred miles an hour. But he's worked his ass off to develop the secondary and tertiary pitches that have helped prolong his career. And, you know, he's, what, 35, 36 years old. Uh, You know, he struggled in 2014, 2015, 2016, nearly won a Cy Young. 2017, won a World Series. Looked great on uh, last Thursday night. Uh, If we're comparing a guy that could potentially be Nolan Ryan... I would give it to him, but again, I don't think there's going to be another guy, as McLean said, that's going to put up that many innings in a season. But Verlander does eat up innings; he can go deep into games. Right. Well, I, I guess the the inference that I was gathering was that the game has changed now, and so you don't oh, without question you don't have you don't have pitchers that are working on that lower body that they used to, you know, and they're not there's not as much emphasis on that. So I'm wondering it's if like that a core, and stuff yeah, like that. yeah. It's like I wonder if that opens up the door for somebody who's more who's of a different mentality, or is the game changed to where it's now more about you know your upper body strength and your finesse and your arm? Yeah. So. I don't. I, I don't know. You're 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 the baseball yeah. expert. I mean, I, I honestly I, don't know much about like workouts and all that, but I'm sure there's data that supports the shift, the transition. I feel like this is a Derek question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Next time we have Derek on, we will certainly ask him uh, that. But overall, great conversation with John McClain, Houston Chronicle. If you want to follow his work, uh, he's posting some great content leading up to the NFL draft. Uh, he's very very active on Twitter. Uh, you can find him there at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Also, you can find him on Sports Radio 610. He's on uh, pretty much every day of the week, but a very great supporter of the show. We really appreciate him for taking the time on Easter Sunday to join us on the podcast. So a great conversation with him. But uh, Jeremy, uh, let's really quickly talk a little business, talk a little politics. You know, we we don't want to focus just on sports for this podcast. Um, Facebook. You have a Facebook account. I have a Facebook account. Uh, this happened, you know, a, a few weeks ago, but there was a, you know, Cambridge Analytica, the data breach, not not really a data breach, but exploiting data from Facebook uh, to help strengthen analytics campaign targeting during the 2016 election. And it's gotten Facebook in hot water, uh, you know, for being able to make this information available to corporations and Facebook's stock has absolutely tanked uh, in terms of market value since hitting its peak high on February 2nd. Facebook has lost $100 billion in market cap. Yeah, That's you know, insane. I, I saw it tumble like it lost like 10% of its value over the course of like a day or two. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't. You know, this is the this is I've always sort of had this jaded impression of social media, and I, I started getting that way after I saw what they were starting to do to um, you know conservative p- 
political activity on their platforms. They started limiting it. Um, there was a scandal here a couple of years ago where Facebook was essentially selectively editing what stories people were able to see and what which ones weren't. And so, you know, if if I was a uh, if I was you know an organization with a conservative bent that was trying to promote a certain agenda, I I had a limited audience out of the gate. Whereas uh, an organization is maybe farther to the left wouldn't. And so I started getting more suspicious of them and what they were doing a long time ago. But this is no surprise to me. I mean, but ultimately, I mean, when you sign your data over to these people, they own it, right? I mean, that's on those terms and conditions. They don't, I mean, you, you no longer own your data. You no longer own those pictures. You no longer own all the information. So that, that is actually not quite true. What you do, you still own the copyright to your photo, right. but well, you give that platform the license to utilize them. Right, exactly. Right. But when this is the genius of Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, he took he took what is this, what was essentially like a pretender dating app, right? That's what Facebook was. It was a, it was an opportunity for people to meet other people of the opposite sex in college. They, in, yeah, in, in college. Right, this the, is all for college. those people listening to the podcast now. A lot of them probably didn't have. Facebook and college, but when Facebook first started in like what 2003, 2004, 2005, it was only open to college yeah. students. You had to have a .edu email address to even register. So it was, it was meant to connect people it on the same so, campus. You, it, I, I think in some cases, like you couldn't even add people that were outside of your network. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was super it was super exclusive, and they started expanding it. The first and, was like to high school, but there right. was really no way to check to see if you were in high school. Exactly. So, but but point being is that he expanded that platform beyond selling ads on the platform. He expanded it to how can we monetize this information? How can we monetize this huge dirt, you know, this huge massive information we have? And he found a way to do it. And that's the reason he's a billionaire right now. I mean, it's not, it's not because Facebook is just this thing that people visit every day. It's because they're able to buy and sell your information. Yeah. And so it's, it's scary the amount of data that we're able to sell your information. It, yeah. it, it's scary the amount of data that we give to these big tech companies. I think there's a stat that says that more than 80% of all digital ads that you see on the internet are produced from Facebook and Google. And, mm. and that's an insane amount. 80% basically of all ad sales, Facebook and Google. Oh, sure. That, that's a monopoly. Oh, sure. And, and there's, always, there's been a, a, a conversation lately about, you know, I'm, and I'm not in favor of this personally, but like an antitrust case against Facebook and Google in particular, kind of comparing them to the standard oil of 100 years ago or uh, the Standard the, Oil, a former heritage company for BP. Right, Standard Oil or uh what what uh Bell Telephone used to be. Remember when you yeah. know that those companies got broken up because the the new, I mean, when you think about the the power and influence that these platforms have, it really is quite large. Now I think that the public has lost confidence in them, you know, to some degree. And so I'm much more wary about things I see on Facebook these days, and I'm always be sure to go check yeah, the source. I'm, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook. If if I didn't have to utilize it for work, I would probably get rid of it. Right, but a uh, huge my platform's a choice: Twitter, Instagram. That's right. it. <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. That's uh, all you need. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I think with the huge percentage of people that get their everyday news from Facebook. It, See, it, I, that's the thing. I it, don't. I still it, refuse to. But, right, but a lot of people do. And you don't. You don't. But Joe Schmo, who's maybe listening to this podcast, he's thinking, well, you know, this is stuff my friends are sharing, stuff that they're talking about, so maybe I should read into it. Yeah. And you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know if it's, uh, you know, being promoted by a, a Russian agent or not or whatever. But to the point, I guess, about Cambridge Analytica, I mean, I, that doesn't bother me so much as what's available to other people, you know, that, that, that doesn't, the, the Cambridge Atlantica thing doesn't bother me 
It's the fact that they have all of this information about you that could be used by someone with more nefarious purposes. It's interesting. I had a conversation about a week and a half ago. I was in Chicago, and we were meeting with Google. We were meeting with Snapchat. We were meeting with Twitter. The amount of information that those companies have on you is insane. Like, you know, they, they know your exact location. They know where you are. They know where to target ads based on your location. Like if you're at a, say, the Galleria, for example, they could target an ad to a specific store based on your shopping habits. Credit card companies are the same way. Right. I mean, it's insane how much data that we just freely give up, how much privacy that we just freely give up. But at the same point, that's kind of how our society is going right now. How, how many times have you been talking about something and then you go to Google and it auto-completes something for you that you've been talking about. Oh, 100%, especially with yeah. Instagram. Yeah, and you're like, you look at your phone, like, are you listening to me? And I, yeah. I, I've had so, a... So uh, I'll give you two examples. One, uh, a few years ago, actually probably last fall, my mom sent me a text message asking what type of wine was it that I was telling her about. And it was like some Paso Robles Cabernet or something like that. Two hours later, she sends me a screenshot of her Facebook page, and there's a sponsored post from the same winery that we were talking about. Uh, my roommate, he's going to Iceland in September, and we had been talking about Iceland and going there for you know a, a few months, and we see sponsored ads on Instagram about traveling to Iceland, whether it was a travel deal from like United or a tourism thing from Iceland. It's just insane. Like you know, they, they say that they're not listening. No, I no, they absolutely are. No, that this this is without a doubt. And I've had someone who this is anecdotal, but I I, I have a friend who works uh he's an it guy works in the computer industry doing security and he's like he's not sure to what to, what extent it is but he's like they absolutely do listen through your mic sometimes especially so, if you have like a alexa or a google oh, home yeah. or apple home pod yeah man that's this is this is like the matrix terminator like yeah. this is where all well, it, where it's where it all starts it, it reminds me <laughs> of the tom cruise movie minority report if you remember yeah, it, there yeah. was an ad it, I guess there was a scene in there in which he's going through like a shopping mall and it basically recognizes He's like walking him. to a gap, I think, yeah, or something. Yeah, and there's and like it. targeted ads based on him and just, you know, like, I don't know, data they've collected on him. That is actually happening right now in the UK. There, there's a company that's actually uh, experimenting with that type of technology. And I, I forget what the, uh, the, the main shopping area uh, is called in London. Uh, but... They're actually experimenting with that starting this year. It's right. nuts. That is nuts. I, I think the ultimate question to kind of bring it back around is, is are, are we okay with this? Are, are people, do we think this is a good thing? And I think uh, the answer is mostly no. It's, it's not a good thing with people. So do. what do you do then? Well, it's... Because we're so reliant on these right, platforms. I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. Well, there's no real way, I think, to, to once you're on the grid, you think you can get off. But I, I think that once a lot of your data is out there, unless you become a different person, it's hard. I, I don't know. I, I don't have that answer. Maybe we could have a tech expert come on and tell us, like, that would be how do we get off the grid? What is the impact of all this? Um, could this be used in the future by some totalitarian police state to come to your door Russia. and take your guns away North or whatever? Korea. Yeah. I don't know. Very interesting conversation. There's obviously people that are more qualified than either one of us to discuss this. But I think that's something that we, we should look into a little bit more. I, I think that would be a fascinating conversation to talk about data analytics and it just the behemoth of Google, Facebook, and you know what they mean for our society. I, I think that would be a very fascinating conversation. But one last business item, uh, Amazon, Donald Trump. I mean, <laughs> Jeremy, uh, Trump is not happy with Amazon. And Bezos has lost... 
you know, like 11% of market share in the past week and a half. Uh, what's going on here? I mean, it, it's, I don't like the fact that Trump is trying to take down two day shipping for Amazon prime. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, this is, this is, this is silly. This is like his talk on trade, which doesn't make much sense, but I mean, it, you're, 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 you're a Republican. So his tariffs have to piss you off. They do. Um, I'm, I, I think that he's sort of working it strategically or trying to. It's geared towards I don't. I, I think that he, you know, look at what he does, not what he says. And, right, I, I see what he's trying to do. I don't like it. I mean, but I, I do think there were some important exemptions that were carved out of those tariffs um, for, I think. Uh, well, I, the tariffs aside, I mean, that, right, was, that right. was focused on China. Right. So, specifically, right, exactly. 100%. And, and, and I think, uh, no, I, I didn't like the tariffs. And in the same way, I don't like this talk about, you know, Amazon and everything. I, I think that's all smoke and mirrors right now. He's trying to placate. Uh, Is he trying to get away from Stormy Daniels by taking on Amazon? You know, I don't think he cares about Stormy Daniels, to be honest with you. He's not I tweeting mean, about her. Yeah, so you know. there's got to be some truth in that, right? I, I think he, he might be leveraging the whole thing, especially if he, uh, you know, if he gets North Korea to hand over a couple of its nukes. He can say he's a president who's, you know, denuclearized North Korea and slept with porn stars. So um, I think that'd be a pretty incredible achievement. All yeah. things considered, but <laughs> no, but I, I, I don't, I don't like it. I think Amazon is great. I don't think, I think that the mom and pop shops that have brick and mortar stores need to shut down their stores and start selling online. Well, it's interesting that you say that because we, we saw that Amazon, for example, took out companies like Toys R Us who filed for bankruptcy. They're, they're closing Walmart took out companies like Toys R Us, but back in the day, Toys R Us took out the mom and pop toy stores. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's all cyclical, right? And, it's, it's, and everything's it's cyclical moving into and, online sales. And that's why Walmart, who has all these brick and mortar locations, they're moving towards an online type platform. And it, it, if 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 you've ever been, if you were ever in a Toys R Us in the last ten years, I had some young cousins. We had to go to Toys R Us to get something for Christmas. It was never a very well run operation. You know, it was probably a good thing ultimately that Amazon. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing for those people to lose their jobs, but I mean, they were not innovating. They were not keeping up pace with the rest with where the industry was going, which was online selling, online buying, um, and this idea that you need to protect these industries, you know, these brick and mortar stores, these mom and pop shops, ultimately consumers lose. Ultimately it's adapt or die. Yeah. It's 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 like this idea about about trade tariffs, you know, that that toaster that might cost fifty dollars if it were made in the US to a low income family, it could only cost ten dollars if it was made in China. You know, that's that that's that's a real you're ultimately hurting consumers and hurting poor consumers if you take this real tough stance on trade. Now I'm oversimplifying a lot, and if, no, but if you're, you're, if you're, your, your point's very valid. If you're an economic wonk, you, you might you might tweet at me. But ultimately, the case for protectionism and this idea that we have to keep these old industries alive on life Made support through, through through government action, I think that's ultimately very anti. That's a very anti-market, anti-capitalist statement or stance to take. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like it's like you know Trump. Trump is kind of like an old school Democrat when it comes to some of his a domestic economic. Democrat, yeah, like a teamster Democrat. Yeah, yeah. He's like an old teamster Democrat, just trying. He's kind of circling the wagons around these old industries that are kind of dying on their own. But ultimately, I don't even think he can save them. So yeah, you know, if you have a brick and mortar store and your sales are falling, like go online. Like that's where the money is. It's not. It's no longer in customers walking into your store. Yeah, I definitely like the two day shipping. So oh, I love two day shipping. Yeah, I always Jeff been we Prime are customer. with you. Yeah. If you want to sponsor us, give us a call. Right. We'll listen. Well, and if you're a shipper, 
you've, I mean, oh, yeah. they, there's, so there's an argument that Amazon keeps the U.S. Postal Service afloat because UPS and FedEx can't deal with all the traffic. They actually, during the holiday season, they had to, they had to shift some of their traffic to other carriers. So the, all of this money is Which going I did somewhere. think was interesting that, you know, Trump made the comment that it was the Postal Service that was losing money as a result of Amazon, when in actuality... No, no, it's, that's, it actually, it's keeping the very mismanaged Postal Service alive. So I'm, I'm very pro-Amazon. I'm not always pro-Jeff Bezos, but um, very pro-Amazon. I'm more, more of an Elon Musk guy when it comes to... <laughs> Who no longer has Facebook. Right. I think that's So he came full circle. Yeah. But interesting overall conversation today. I mean, we start with baseball, talk a little Rockets, have some great conversation with John McClain... And then go in a little bit of politics, a little bit of economics. I don't know. That's what we do here. We are diverse. But, uh, Jeremy, there is some late-breaking news as we are recording. Do you want to go ahead and give us a, a quick update? Um, I actually, with the aid of ESPN Power Rankings, pr- correctly predicted that Villanova would win the national championship. Yeah. And we are recording on Monday night uh, because we wanted to actually get this in the show. But Villanova just knocked off Michigan 79-62 to 62 to win their second national championship in three years, their second national champ championship in the state of Texas in the last th- few years. You know, they, they, they won in Houston a few years ago. Now they win in San Antonio. So congrats to Villanova for knocking off the Michigan Wolverines. But, man, the Final Four sucked. It did. I was really hoping for Loyola to, to go. I, Loyola Chicago. Yeah, you know, I, I had to root for them. I was thinking about poor old Baylor and how we got knocked out of the second or third round of the NIT, and I was just like, yeah, these, these are my guys. I, I, gotta... I, I will say, the, the, the tournament that really mattered was the women's tournament. Notre Dame. Notre Dame winning on a be. buzzer beater. Yeah. What a UConn not winning the tournament. That actually makes me happy. Yeah. I hate UConn. Yeah, absolutely. For obvious but, reasons. I don't know. Basketball season is over for the college kids. Now it's on to the uh, NBA playoffs stay tuned rockets we'll have some more rockets conversation here leading up to the postseason as again james harden chris paul daryl morey mike d'antoni have the train rolling at toyota center the rockets will host all playoff games they will be the number one seed in the west they will host the nba finals if they make it that far and hopefully they can bring a third nba title to clutch city let's see if the beard is worth it I think, he's worth it. I think he's worth it. But Jeremy, always great to have you in studio talking a little sports, a little politics, a little pop culture. That's what we do here at the Weekly Brew Podcast. If you want to follow our work, just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also subscribe to our website, weeklybrewcast.com. You can subscribe or follow me on Twitter if you want, at Statin. You can check out Jeremy at FiestaBear08. If you want great baseball content, highly recommend following Hunter Atkins35 and also Fogel Said What on Twitter, that's Derek Fogel. And also, I don't, I don't know if you saw this news uh, last week, but uh, Derek's cousin, Jared, actually is filing an appeal to uh, be released from prison a little bit early. And Derek's probably like screaming at his radio right now as he's hearing this. But uh, we'll have more baseball talk soon with those guys. But uh, Jeremy, always great to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. All right. So on behalf of my co-host this week, Jeremy Paxson, we want to give a special shout out to John McClain for joining us on this week's show. Talk a little baseball, a little Astros, and a little Texans as well. But you've been listening to episode 127 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Weekly Brew. 